welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today for Barry Dimes Quarterly In the Know podcast. This is a series focused on the financial services industry, current trends, and hot topics. My name is David Stone, and as always, I'm joined by Susan Weber. Susan, you want to give an intro to the audience today? Sure. I'm Susan Weber, 26-year banking veteran, turned accountant. No, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> consultant. Um, and I uh, help banking clients with all kinds of pain points getting through them, most especially uh, recently Cecil and and uh, model validations and things like that. But always happy to be here to talk about banking in general and credit risk and all kinds of topics. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I, I know we have a, a jam-packed session today. I've we we chatted about a lot in our planning session, and now we'll try to translate it for the audience, right? <laughs> That's it. We always like to do that sort of that dry run to make sure we've got you know good content for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I think today we'll start off kind of as usual with our quarterly banking profile update. Um, so the the FDIC just came out with their quarter four twenty two banking profile. So um, I know we're well into 2023, but you know, probably a good opportunity to to do a quick recap. Um, and you know, I should mention our summary is available uh, on the website for download. So certainly check it out. Um, I'm only going to pull out a, a few of the highlights here today in this podcast. So so I know in in Q4, really to to round out the year, um, full year net income was above the pre-pandemic average, um, despite being marginally lower than 2021. So still certainly, you know, all around a, a great year for community banks on on the net income uh, perspective. And, you know, that was largely driven by a, you know, pretty remarkable increase in net interest margins. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that gap, you know, continued to widen. And I know I ended Q4 uh, at 371 basis points. So net interest margin is 3.71%. And this actually surpassed the pre-pandemic average of 3.63%. And um, if, if you look at the graph, and we'll, we'll certainly have it in our summary, um, it's just kind of a, a, a crazy spike upwards from what was a downward trend in net interest margin. So quite quite a change all of a sudden um, in the interest rate environment, as as we're all well aware Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens coming into the first quarter. You know, um, there's a little bit of a delay by the time we we uh, release these podcasts and when new information is available. But, you know, we're right at the time of the year where the first quarter results are going to be coming up soon. And we'll be watching those, right, not only because of the adoption of CECL, which so many institutions have had to do in the first quarter of this year, yeah. and seeing just what that is going to look like, right? So we're going to be anticipating all of this all of this uh, ramp up to to CECL adoption will be we'll be watching to see what actually happens to allowance levels and it'll be a little interesting too because so much has been happening um in the world and in and in the markets just this quarter alone mm. um although i say that almost every quarter it feels like <laughs> something but it really has been quite dramatic in this first quarter um you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to really bring up is um, TREP. It's an organization that I've brought up before. Um, sure. They're probably the nation's largest um, database of um, um, securitized mortgages. And they, they publish a lot of information um, 
that's really helpful to institutions. And one of the things that they've been watching is um, different segments of the commercial real estate and what's yep, been going yep. on with those. And they've been tracking what's been happening with office, right? Office has been talked about ever since the pandemic, what's going to happen with office space and this kind of thing. And, 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 Office collateralized loans jumped 16% in January um, to exceed 4% for the first time in 2019. These are workouts, right? Special servicing Mm -hmm. or workouts. And then they jumped another 10% in February. So we don't know yet what March looks like, but there's definitely some concern that there's some weakening in the office markets. Um, And I think if you think about, you know, regional and midterm banks, you know, you would probably kind of expect them to have a little bit more of those early warning signs. But I think there's some things that even community banks can really do to make sure that they've got a good handle on on any sort of office risk that they have. Uh, we've got a new article out about that, and so we'll put a link to that in the in the in the um, in the notes. But generally, I think just having an awareness of what some of those um, key ratios are, you know, just looking at um, things like you know who your who you're exposed to, do you have any concentrations? Can you even identify the office exposures that you have in your portfolio? Um, and is there some higher level analysis that you can do around around those? And also, you know, it may be a, um, a preventative time, right? You may want to yeah, go into yeah. into offense and have some conversations, some plan conversations with loan officers, especially for your higher balanced office loans, so that you understand, you know, whose contracts may be expiring uh, when, whose leases that is may be expiring when, and what some of those key data points are that you're going to really want to assess to make sure that you're going to be on solid footing. Yeah, yeah, and I. You you stole my thunder. I was I was oh, gonna I mention <laughs> No, 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 I, I don't mean I don't mean it that way, but I was gonna mention the um the active communication with you know with loan oh, officers yes. and um and um ultimately with lessors. And I mean it's it I I feel like that's just so critically important right now because I know just in talking with like my client base, you know, we'll we'll um often ask, you know, what what are you seeing? Are you seeing people come into the office now? Or, are you not? Are you requiring people? And it's it's really a mixed bag as to what is happening out there in the market. And, and of course, that has implications for when leases do renew, you know, mm-hmm. what these companies are probably going to do. And um, obviously, that's going to impact the, the lessor's ability to make those loan payments on office space. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it just makes it that much more critical to have those proactive conversations just yep. to kind of see, you know, where where do you expect um, vacancy rates to be in the next three years, five years? You know, are there any there are any tenants that if you were to lose them, it would it would be detrimental to your ability to repay? Um, That's a- that's exactly it. And I think a lot of times what's really tough is these when these things start going, they're pretty fast moving. Yeah, and yeah. and a lot of it is anecdotal evidence, right? And we're all busy people. If you don't put a stake in the ground and say, we are intentionally going to have this conversation and we're intentionally going to try to share this information when it becomes uh, available, if you don't have an ongoing pipeline of that, 
you know, there there is nothing wrong with pulling a list of your office um, portfolio and explaining to people that now is exactly the right time to be having some of these very intentional conversations. Weave them into planned meetings. This is the time of the year that people are going to start knocking on doors and, you know, thinking about annual reviews and all kinds yeah. of things. So now is exactly the right time to be thinking about what else do you need to know or want to know or should inquire about and where and who in the organization needs to know that when you when you roll that up so there's some some a real good feeling about about the health of that portfolio can be had yeah yeah and um yeah just just to add on to that i mean another to to look in the rearview mirror again you know another stat from the Mm -hmm. quarterly banking profile um was that non-current loan rates actually hit a Mm -hmm. another quarterly banking profile record low um <laughs> it, yeah of of uh 44 um basis points so so super low and um and, and that's since data collection started in 1984 that's and, crazy and re- yeah yeah it is crazy and, and the reason i mention it is because you know if you look in the rear view mirror everything looks pretty calm but then you know we talk about these emerging risks you know in office space and you know we'll, we'll certainly chat about some some other risks here in a moment but um i i complacency is certainly not the right word but i think it is easy to kind of get into that groove of okay everything everything's all right um but as we yeah. know things can change super quickly so so i'm glad you bring that up susan they really can. And, you know, and I think what happens, you get a little out of practice, right? And you kind of forget sure. how many years of goodness we've actually had. I just made that up, goodness. But <laughs> how many years of, of stability we've sort yeah. of had when you really think about it from that standpoint? It's been a while since we really, I mean, it's really been since the last Great Recession that we had to really work out things. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, who may be in your institutions differently today than were there then, um, you know, they they may not just have a solid appreciation for those life lessons that were learned through that last crisis. And, you know, there's, I'm, I'm a big believer in an ounce of prevention, right? So let's yeah, just, let's yeah. get in there and, and make sure that we really know what we think we know. Yeah, no, great, great. So um, the world is a little bit in, in flummox. Um, there's been a lot of uh, banking news in the last few weeks. Um, certainly with the bank failures, we can't probably do an in the no podcast and not at least touch on bank failures and what we think that's going to, to do to things. So um, I'll jump in and say, I really don't want to talk about <laughs> what everybody else is talking about. With that. I, but we uh, have you know, to, right, Susan? Uh, we, we have, have to. to. I know. I mean, what, what has happened and what that all means and, you know, who knew what, when and how and FDIC, we'll, we'll let the cards play out. But I do think that there are some things that, you know, bankers can be thinking about and be aware of. And um, some of the things that occur to me are, um, you know, obviously there's a heightened focus on liquidity and the matching of your assets and liabilities and what that actually means. Um, I've gotten a few questions to say, does this change anything that we do with our investments relative to Cecil? And I would say no. I mean, from the standpoint of this is really around the credit risk involved in those. And so you just need to be really clear on what the rules are for assessing those for AFS and HTM. Mm. Um, but, you know, really, this was this was really on that match and that liquidity side. So, you know, from that standpoint, I don't, I don't really see it. But what I do think is there's going to be, once everybody sort of comes to grips with, you know, who's at fault and (laughs) who we want to point a finger at and blame, um, which I don't, 
love. That's that's the piece I don't love. Um, you know, hopefully there'll be some real good conversations happening about what does FDIC insurance look like in the future? Do we need to recalibrate that? Um, what does that look like? You know, this conversation about bailouts and small banks versus big banks. I, I just, I worry a little bit about the health of the industry with that, but I certainly appreciate all sides of that coin. Um, but I do think that, you know, institutions should be prepared for some some increased scrutiny in the short term. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of questions asked, you know, on all all sides to just make sure that people have a good understanding of what they have going on. And I think for those institutions that feel very removed from the situations that kind of created this situation, um, you know, I think I would just encourage you to still pay really close attention to what's happening because there are definitely lessons learned here. And you might be surprised to find that while the the details of it might be different for you, you know, or feel different for you, there are lessons that can be learned here. And um, certainly um, some future impact into banking is going to be an outcome of this, you know, whether it's more regulation or more scrutiny or more insurance or more fees or whatever it is, um, you know, staying abreast of those is, is really critically important. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I, I, I always like to, to think that with, with challenges like this also comes opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think this really is a great opportunity even um, for, for maybe community banks specifically to, to really differentiate themselves from some of those other players out there. Um, without and I, a doubt, without yeah, a I, doubt. No, I don't mean to interrupt you, but absolutely no, no. without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think for, you know, you and I, Susan, and, and certainly the audience where we're very well aware of the difference between a community bank, a regional bank, a national bank. But mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, a bank is a bank, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't really know what those nuances are. And this, this really has put the spotlight on um, the different types of institutions out there. So, so I did want to mention that, you know, I think this does pose itself as, as hopefully a great opportunity for, for our listeners. Absolutely. And I think it's really important that we continue as community bankers to tell our story, right? And I say our, yeah. I, I can't shake 26 years of being <laughs> a community banker. I just can't do it. But, you know, yeah. I think it's really important that community bankers share their story yeah. along these lines. There are, um, and you saw it, right? Not not in the very first few hours, but you saw it as that weekend continued to unfold. And we got into Monday and Tuesday, right? The 13th, the 14th. Um, you know, you saw more and more. I did, you know, my LinkedIn yeah. feed was full of it. I saw more and more C-suite and presidents of uh, community banks coming out and talking um, very passionately about what it is that makes community banking special and different and um, what that means to their communities and constituencies. And so I, I find that really helpful. Um, but we should talk about social media a little bit, right? Because uh, gosh, darn it. <laughs> you know, they're just yeah. uh, that it's just there is a there is an ugly side to social media um, that I think it's worth mentioning here. And I know you have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I know I was listening to a presentation recently, and, and they brought that up, you know, how um, we're in a different environment now with social mm -hmm. media. And th this isn't the first time, of course, that things have gone from zero to 100. 
uh, real quickly as a result mm-hmm. of social media. You know, there's just so much information out there, um, whether it be truthful or not, you know, something kind of catches catches a wind and and it blows into something a, a lot bigger than it what may have otherwise otherwise been. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't know, there's a lot of different factors that play into this. And I'm not in a position to, to say, you know, with certainty, what did and what didn't cause cause this. But, you know, I, I think social media certainly did, to some extent, um, have an influence on, on this mm-hmm. event, um, and maybe the trajectory of it as well. Yeah, I think no doubt for sure it had some sort of impact. And I think that that's a real strong lesson for all of us to to think about and learn too, you know, how quickly um, misinformation can be um, put out there, but also once certain it matters who says what to whom, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah. And, and even even tenfold, right, because of the element of social media. And so I think, you know, we like the positive sides of social media where the messages are are helpful and positive and good and heartwarming and this kind of thing. But there's this side where, um, you know, it certainly can go very quickly in the other direction. And it's really hard to retract that or to stop it or to stem that tide. So um, I think with anything, you know, transparency is helpful. Um, but I also think that, you know, there's a responsibility that comes with that. And I, I hope that there's some good lessons that come out of it, you know, from that standpoint. Yeah. 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 And the, um, I mean, the, the, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we could take days to talk about this topic. <laughs> we, yeah, we could, we could. Um, yeah. I mean, the accountant in me kind of thinks about the, of course, the accounting side of this too. And, you know, as uh, kind of some background, you know, as I'm working through like accounting standards and reviewing financial statements, mm-hmm. I, I often ask myself, like, what's what's the purpose of this disclosure or, you know, why why is this presented this way? You know, just really trying to dig into the the why of, of accounting standards. And every now and then there's events like this that really highlight certain disclosures or information in financial statements um, that may have taken the back seat, you know, over the last however many years. And I think we certainly saw that recently. Um, there's been a lot of discussion over the accounting for held to maturity securities. And mm-hmm. if that needs to be revisited, um, liquidity disclosures, you know, are, are those adequate for financial institutions? Um, so I, I I don't know where those conversations are, are going to head, but it's it's certainly it's certainly interesting to to think about that and kind of think about the the why, you know, why are we presenting things the way they are and um, are are changes in order, you know, mm-hmm. to better present that information. Yeah, sometimes these these events come along and they remind us of some yep. best practices that we always knew were true. And we just maybe have gotten away from it a little bit and we go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then sometimes they highlight where we haven't necessarily calibrated as as much as we should have for the times yeah. that we're in. And I think this is this. This certainly has um, the possibility of being both at the same time. Like, I think there are yeah. some yeah. aspects to you know, without getting too far into it, there may be some aspects of FDIC insurance that just haven't quite kept pace with, you know, who America is today that, you know, is worth discussing. Um, And then there may be some other things that we just need to remind people why these are even in here to begin with. But 
at the end of the day, you know, um, regardless of what the regulation or the accounting guidance is out there, you know, just understanding the dynamics of your business are just so critically important mm. to we really take it back to what we are as bankers is risk managers and, you know, being really able to fully understand the risks that we're taking at any given moment and realize that they have pervasive impacts, I think is critically important. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now one, one last, maybe last thing I want to bring up is, um, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be a podcast with you, Susan, if we didn't talk Cecil. So oh, good Lord. Yes, that's true. That's right. Cecil, here it comes. <laughs> well, well, so I, I was chatting with somebody yesterday and they made a, a great, a great point. Um, Back in 2020, the first wave of adopters adopted Cecil, and then the pandemic hit. And here we are now with the, the rest of us adopting <laughs> yeah. Cecil, and then this, you know, these these bank failures hit. Um, it's just, I mean, I just so, wanted to throw that so out Cecil there. Cecil is the root of all evil. Is that what you're <laughs> trying to say? Like, don't adopt Cecil because something traumatic's going to happen? No, I. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just thought I thought it was a really interesting parallel. But I, I guess my question is, you know, do you do you think this does cause um, just additional challenge in mm. in you know? calibrating those Cecil models no, mm. not I'm certainly not for day one because you know this was after one one but you know for for quarter one for right. instance um you know I guess what I would say about that is inherently Cecil is about your credit risk right and so yeah. I think what we have to really just remind everybody of is even in times of turmoil you just have to you know kind of what you were saying about the accounting um, rules and thinking about the why, we have to be really thoughtful about the why here. And yeah. this was not a loan event, right? This was not a loan issue. Um, this was a deposit issue. And um, that doesn't mean that there aren't some repercussions that somehow end up manifesting themselves, right? If somebody doesn't have access to their funds and they have a loan somewhere else, can they pay or not pay? I mean, those are things that you have to think about. But, you know, I think in most of these cases, um, those were concentrated in certain places. But so I do think they cause you to think about them, right? And maybe what it causes you to think about is think about your concentrations differently, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. things like that. And so that kind of goes back to some of those lessons learned that I was saying before, even if you think something doesn't have anything to do with you, it probably does, yeah, right? right? And yeah. there, there's lessons that you can learn and be challenging yourselves and thinking about that maybe are um, related, but not directly to. And so um, in this case, I don't really see anything immediate relative to Cecil. Um, but I do think that um, anytime you have an event like this, you need to really challenge your thinking. Um, and, and if you can't do it for yourself, sometimes you're too close, get in a room with some other people and say, yeah. what could really go wrong here? And yeah. um, you may find that there's an element that you need to deal with for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, well, we, we've covered a lot today, unpacked a lot, and, <laughs> and rightfully so. I mean, there's, um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going there on. But, um, anything else you wanted to cover, Susan, or should we, should we wrap this one up? I think we're good to go for today. Yeah. I mean, um, there's always going to be some more things to talk about. There's never a dull moment in banking. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely never a dull moment. <laughs> yep. Yep. Couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you so much, Susan. It's always a pleasure. 
you know, and, and thank you to our listeners, too. Thanks for tuning in. And, you know, certainly if there's any questions as a result of this in the No podcast, reach out to Susan or I. Uh, we also have our Ask the Advisor feature on the Barry Dunn website. It's a great resource to reach out as well. We'll look forward to recording and sharing the next one with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.